Welcome to the Urban Hope Podcast. Today's sermon is called The Ten Commandments Do Not Covet from Exodus 21 through 20 from Shepherding Pastor Chad Granger. It's particularly dangerous, one, because it, it deals with the inclination of our heart. Most of all the other commandments are an action that we do or don't do that other people can see. This one is about our heart and our desires. Others, other people can't necessarily see it. God sees it and you see it. You have to keep it in check. And secondly, because of the vaunted materialism and consumerism of our world, we do it constantly and I don't even think we check ourselves on it. I really believe it's probably the most socially acceptable one to break of all the Ten Commandments. I think if I stopped a person on the sidewalk out there and said, hey, do you believe it's wrong to murder? They'd be like, yeah, it's wrong to murder. Do you believe it's wrong to take another man's wife? Yeah, I believe it's wrong to take another man's wife. Do you believe it's wrong to steal? Yeah, I believe it's wrong to steal. Do you believe it, it's wrong to lie? Yeah, I believe it's wrong to lie. Do you believe it's wrong to covet? What's covet mean? Do you believe it's wrong to, to want or desire something that someone else has? What's wrong with that? Brothers and sisters, the 10th commandment tells us that we shall not covet. And there's something desperately wrong with it. So let's look in our text. We're going to start in chapter 20, verse 1. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness, or anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord your God in vain, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And our text today, and our verse where we're going to be camping out today, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound and the trumpet and the mountain smoke and the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses 
You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. For y'all that like to know where we're going or take notes, we're going to make three major moves. The first one, uh, we're going to define what it means to do not covet. What does that mean exactly? Uh, What does that look like? What are are the things that we tend to covet? That's going to be the first move. Second move is why is our heart so prone to it? Why are we so tempted to do it? And what are the consequences? What are the results? And then lastly, how do we combat doing it? How do we move towards obedience in this area? So those are the three moves. The first one, let's get to uh, what is coveting? What what is it being commanded or prohibited not to do? And so let's look again at verse 17 of our text in chapter 20 of Exodus. Again, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. To understand this verse and what God is prohibiting, we first have to understand covet. We'll get to everything else. Y'all think about oxes and donkeys and male servants and female servants. We're going to get there. But to to understand what God is forbidding us from or prohibiting from, we first have to understand this term covet. And so let's look at some definitions of that term. So here's three definitions and then the one I'm working off of today. So Oxford, Oxford Dictionary defines covet as a verb to yearn to possess or have something. To yearn to possess or to have something. Cambridge Dictionary defines covet to want to have something very much. To want to have something very much especially something that belongs to someone else. So Oxford, to yearn, to possess, or have something. Cambridge doubles down it to, to year, this yearning is wanting something very much, but it's not just wanting something, it's something that belongs to someone else. Merriam-Webster defines it this way, to desire what belongs to another inordinately or culpably. Inordinately means uh, too much or an inordinate amount or culpably in a way that brings guilt upon you. But you see some common things, to yearn, to want, to desire something, a possession, to own, to have something that belongs to another. This is how I would define it. A disordered or misplaced desire or want to possess or have something that that someone else has. A disordered or misplaced desire or want to possess or have something that someone else has. And I want to be disordered and misplaced desire. The heart of coveting is an inordinate desire. Um, It's not wrong. God has created us as desiring beings. But sometimes we place those desires in the wrong places. And we think other things can quench this desire that only God can. And so it's a disorder in its its wrong order, a priority. We saw in our our, uh, text and and our call to to repentance today that 
Covetousness is likened to idolatry. What is idolatry, remember? It's, it's making ultimate things of good things. It's putting things in priority over God to a way that we are worshiping them over God. In the same way, when we covet, we are already given into idolatry. We are, we are disordered in what gives us the answer to our desire. It's misplaced. It's misplaced in something that can't really give us what we want. And so coveting is a disordered or misplaced desire want to possess or have something that someone else has. That is our neighbor's. Something that it's not for us to possess. Something that God has put boundaries around. Or that he's, God has not yet given you yet in this time. And trusting God with that. So let's turn back to 17, uh, verse 17, and, and walk out the rest of it. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Uh, house here in the original language is more like household. It, it, it really means your neighbor's possessions, his household, his proper, property. But house translates well. And you've got the semicolon. Everything else is helping us to, to define and explain what's meant by house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now y'all are like, what is a male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, why would I covet that? There's two things, to, uh, there's some important things to remember about ancient Near Eastern culture, the Hebrew world. A sign of wealth, a sign of prosperity, a sign that you got a little paper, is, was, was distinguished in how many servants you had, and how many livestock you had. And so at the heart of this, what we are tempted to covet are possessions, are things of economic wealth and means. We desire to have that which our neighbor has that God has not yet given us. And so if I was to reread this um, to not, in, a, in a more modern language, I would leave house as we typically know house. We, we tend to covet maybe other people's houses. The house is bigger. It's newer. It probably doesn't have plumbing problems. Say, see, probably works really well in all this heat. I want that house. I need that house. I like my neighbor's house. But if I were to reread all this in a more modern tone, it would be, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's spouse. We have men and women in here. It's not just a command to men. You shall not covet your neighbor's spouse. Well, he looks better. He looks more agreeable. He, he might not argue with me as much. She looks better. She looks more agreeable. Maybe I would want her. You should not covet your neighbor's uh, career, his job, his salary, his bank account. These are means of our, how we, we uh, understand status and worth and money today, not servants. But you could, it could be, I, I, I covet my neighbor's nanny or their house cleaners. Because that is a sign of wealth that you could afford that. Um, I covet, do not covet your neighbor's car, his boat, his clothes, his jewelry, his J's, what have you. Do not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Are you starting to understand what this is moving us from? And it really comes down to um, drives of idolatry. What did we say? Tim Keller said the three major idols... In America are power, sex, and money. To covet someone else's spouse is a sex drive, and that's putting that preeminent. 
Power and sex comes with the money thing. I mean, power and money come, come with the same thing. If we have a lot of things, he who has the most toys has the most power, has the most happiness. And we're prone to turn to this because we're given into another big idol of our day, and it's called materialism. Let's look at a, a definition of materialism. Materialism, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. We'll read that again. And possessions is underlined in the literal, underlined in the literal definition uh, that I got this from. A tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. That we really believe at the end of the day, if we have more things, that will bring more comfort to our life and that will make us more content and happy in life. That's not the Bible. That's the world. That's materialism. And we are eat up with it. And I believe this is the most socially acceptable commandment for us to break in the ten because we all, in our heart of hearts, struggle with this greatly. How many of y'all desire to be rich? Come on. Who doesn't desire to be rich? Why do we desire to be rich? Why do we desire it? Some of it could be power, status, fame, but ultimately I think it comes down to this. We think if we were rich, we can get what we want. If we can get what we want, we would be more comfortable in our life. And if we're more comfortable in life, then we would be more content and satisfied and happy. I think that's why we desire to be rich. And that is sold to us over and over and over again. That's not the Bible. That is the world. And this is what's pumped throughout our whole culture. That's what's pumped in the rap music. Make that money. Chase that paper. And I'm not picking on rap because I'm in the hood and a white guy. I'm picking on rap because rap, again, is the most streamed music form in America. It shapes our culture. And it shapes your heart. You know when Pastor Chad gets in his rap bag, he's got to go back because that's the rap he knows. So let's just talk about it. I, I don't know if y'all know 50 cents, but 50 cents said get rich or die trying. He's saying the purpose of life is to get rich. If you ain't rich and you ain't got it, you need to be dying to get it or die trying to get it. You might as well be dead if you don't have it. That's a poor theology. But because we consume it, that's in, my, that's in Pastor Chad's heart deep somewhere. I didn't look that illustration up. But I think Biggie, Biggie had a little sounder theology around money. What did Biggie say? At least in one song. I'm not vouching for all of it. Biggie said, more money, more problems. More money, more problems. But guess what? In our heart of hearts, we don't believe Biggie. No, Biggie's wrong. More money, less problems. More money, more happy. More money, more satisfied. More money, more joy. More money, more content. That's what we believe. We do not believe Biggie, and we do not believe the Bible. Y'all want to know what the Bible says about the desire to be rich? Let's turn to 1 Timothy 6. It says a lot about this and money throughout the Bible. I'm just picking one passage. 
1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take in, we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, disordered, misplaced desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's the Bible. The world says the more you have, the more comfort you have, the happier you will be. The Bible says if you desire money, it lends to temptation, a snare, senseless and harmful desires. It plunges you into ruin and destruction. It says it will come with many pangs. If it's got your heart. And believe me, it's got our heart and that's why we covet. That's why we covet. Let me remind you of the parable of the souls. This is Jesus himself. In, in Matthew, Matthew 13, Jesus teaches on the parable of the soils. There's four soils. And in that parable, you, you have a, a sower sowing seed. It's, it's a farmer planting seed. He's casting out seed to go into the ground. The seed, it represents the word of God. The soil, the ground, represents the heart of man. The first cast out, it comes on the pathway. And what happens? The birds come down and take it away. They snatch it up before it even takes root. That's Satan. The second one, they throw it out and it goes onto rocky and shallow ground. And, and they receive the word with truth and gladness. And it, and, and it takes root for a while because it's on shallow and rocky ground. It does not last. And the sun scorches it out. That's the trials and the tribulations of life that snuff it out. What's the third one? This is the one I'm trying to get to. The third one, when the, when the seed goes out and it takes root and it starts to shoot up, weeds and thorns come up with it and what? Choke it out. You all know what the weeds and thorns are. This is the words of Jesus. The cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Comfort, possessions, materialism, a lie from Satan. And believe me, when those are choked out, those first three souls, they ain't going to be in heaven. It's only the fourth soul that, that bears fruit 30, 60, and 90 or 100 fold that are bearing fruit and show evidence of true saving faith in their life. Beware of your desire for riches, your desire for riches, your desire for comfort, your desire for material possessions is at the root of your coveting. And it's killing you. I want to read one last thing by Jesus himself. I'm not getting into this parable, but again, this is from Jesus in Mark or Luke 12, 15. Words of Jesus. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetedness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions this is jesus himself saying be on guard against covenants your life is not equal to the value of how much you have or how many toys you have he says be on guard of that kind of thinking keep yourself from it Y'all starting to understand what it means to do not covet? We got the definition clear? We know what our hearts are doing when we do this? 
Okay? Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Why are we so prone to do it? Because we're like our first father and our first mother. Let's go back to the garden. We have a tendency to believe lies just like Eve and Adam did. Let's go back to the garden, Genesis 3 in the fall. Let's go back. I'm going to use this side. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty. What's crafty mean? Wily, deceitful. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, the serpent here is Satan, the devil, the ablos. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. He didn't say, Do not touch it, but I'm not going there today. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, the crafter, the liar, said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So the serpent, the crafty one, Satan, the deceiver, deceives Eve into thinking that God's holding back something good from her. God's holding out on her. If you eat of that, it's going to make you like God. God doesn't love you. He doesn't have your best in mind. He doesn't really have your good out for him. No, he's holding something back. At the root of all our covenants is a belief and a distrust that God's holding out on me. That God is keeping something good from me. That I need, and I need that to be happy and to have my desires quenched. It is a lie from Satan. It's, what's, it's what put us in all this mess to begin with. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there's something about what we see that we start to covet. When, when Eve saw that the, the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that is a, a synonym to do not covet in the Hebrew to desire right there. That's a misplaced, disordered desire. God doesn't give you the desire to do something that he does not want you to do. That's not from God. That the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And that's how we got in all this mess. That's where the fall and sin entered into this world. And look what happens. Then both of their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loin, themselves loincloths. Shame, sin entered into the world. And this is what separated us from the Father. And it all happened with a lie that Eve believed that God was holding out on her. God was keeping something from her. God said, you can have every tree in the garden but this one. And what does Eve want? What does the serpent deceive her into thinking that she wants? That one. And when she ate of it, it plunged her into sin. It plunged her into shame. It plunged her into misery and separation from God the Father. Coveting always gives you the opposite of what it says it's going to give you because it's based in a lie. It's never going to give you what you think. We are so prone to covet 
because we, we, are, we are born with a nature to rebel against God, to doubt God, to, to distrust God. And we're prone to buy into the same lies that they bought into and believe the world and Satan instead. That's why we're so prone to coveting. It's based in doubting God's goodness and love and care for us and his character. He's holding out on me. So what are the consequences? What are the consequences? Let's look at uh, James 1. Let's look at James 1. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God didn't tempt Eve. Who tempted Eve? Satan. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God does not tempt anyone. He's not going to lead you to a desire that he doesn't want you to have. That's not God. That's Eve, and what Eve brought into this world with Adam, sin. That's in our nature. That's why we're tempted. This is what James is getting at. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. His own desire. That, that natural, sinful desire in himself. And what happens when he gives in to that desire? Then desire, when he, it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full, fully grown, brings forth death. What are the consequences of covenant? Sin and death. Brothers and sisters, this is important. The Bible doesn't always talk about desires in a proper, in a, in a, in a proper, in a, a healthy sense. Our world thinks if you desire something, you should have it. That's more of a Freudian thought, I believe, that you should act on all your desires. That's natural to you. That's how, that's how you're made. That's, that's how we work with, with Darwinism and everything. No. We, in the Bible, God puts boundary around our desires. He questions our desires. We should keep our desires in check. Not everything that looks good is good for you, Eve. Pastor Chad, Urban Hope. God's put boundaries around things. But a product of covenant is given in to our own sinful desires, which produces sin, death, chaos in our life. Let's, let's look at Ephesians, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 3, th 3 through 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. Who are the saints? Christians. These things shouldn't even be named among us. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. Verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, what? Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Six, let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't believe Satan. Don't believe the world. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's some heavy stuff. Especially when we realize we all struggle with coveting. It says, for those who covet, which we will not inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. For those who covet and are in sexual morality, we should expect the wrath of God. A consequence of coveting is sin, is death, 
is the wrath of God. It doesn't give us joy. It doesn't give us contentment. It doesn't give us happiness. It robs us of it. Because we're buying into a lie that God's holding out. That He's holding out on us. And the main culprit today, which is what Pastor Alton talked about in the call to worship, that keeps us doing this, and we keep going back to it, is this. We're we're a bunch of holy scrollers, and we are just eat up with coveting. If I was king for a day, I would get rid of all social media. Social media has done some good, but if you look at the studies, I believe it's done more bad than good. If you look at the, the, the studies, it's not good for your mental health or your well-being. I would say as a Christian, it's not good for your heart. But I'm not king for today. Let's just say, let me, you know, and I'm talking about Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all the things. But let me just pick on my favorite, Instagram. If I was president of Instagram for a day, you know, I said if I was king of a day, I'd get rid of it all. But if I'm president of Instagram, I can't get rid of it. I'm, I'm, I'm beholden to, to board members and, and investors. So I can't get rid of Instagram. But what I do, I'd be, make more authentic what it actually does. I would rename it and rebrand it. I would no longer call it Instagram. I'd call it Instacovet. Instacovet. Because that's what we do. Oh, look at that girl's new house. I don't talk to that girl. I hadn't talked to her. I hadn't seen her since college, 20 years ago. But look at her house. That's a beautiful house. I want a house like that. I want that house. Why don't I have that house? God, if you love me, I would have a house like that. God, you must not love me. You're holding out on me. Insta covet. Oh, oh, man, look at that guy's car. Man, I want that car. I'd like a car like And our heart does it over and over again. And so we, we all do it. Instagram is insta-covet, it's insta-sin, and it's stealing your joy. It's robbing you of joy. As you engage social media and you get off of it, do a heart check to yourself. Are you happier after you get off? Are you more discontent? Are you more sad? Are you more focused on the things that you don't have? Are you thinking about how God is holding out on you? Which leads you to think that God doesn't have His best for you. That God doesn't love you. The deceiver is winning. And He's got your heart bent out of shape and coveting. Brothers and sisters, there was a a guy that told... I listened to him on podcast. He talked about Instagram and he talked about all us comparison. He says, comparison is, is the killer of joy. No, comparison is not the killer of joy. Coveting is the killer of joy. I just took my, we just took our son uh, shoe shopping for, for, he just started kindergarten. Son, do you want the blue shoes or the red shoes? The red. He just won the red. Comparing blue and red is not the killer of joy. It's when you say in your heart, that I want that, that's not yours, I need that for me to be satisfied and happy and joyful in life is to have that. That's coveting. That's the killer of joy. Why do we do it? It's because we're believing a lie and we're believing that God's holding out of us. What are the consequences? Sin, death, 
the wrath of God, joylessness. It will never give you what you think it's going to give you. Okay, Pastor Chad, how do I not do it? How do I combat it? How do I stop doing it? You've convinced me we're all doing it. We're all slayed. How do I stop? How do I move towards obedience? I believe the opposite of coveting is gratitude and contentment. I believe the opposite of coveting is gratitude and contentment. Brothers and sisters, we move fast in this world. We have a lot of things coming at us. We're constantly on our devices, on our phones. We're going to work. We're picking up kids. We're doing all the things. And we don't sit back. All we do is take what the world is throwing at us, all the advertising, all the stuff that says, look what you don't have. Look what you need. Look what you're missing out on. What we need to do is pause, step back, rest, and get perspective. It takes slowing down and perspective to move you to gratitude and contentment. Instead of looking at what you don't have, sit back and honor your life at what God has given you. When you clear your head, those, you know, when you really clear your head, that those things aren't going to bring you happiness. Because happiness is not found in possessions. Happiness is found and joy is found in relationship. Look at that spouse that God has given you. That should move you to thankfulness. Look at those children that God has given you. That should move you to thankfulness. Look at this church family that God has given you. That should move you to thankfulness and gratitude. Guys, it is, there's been storms all week. And it, have y'all felt that heat? Do you have a roof over your head and shelter from the storms? Do you have AC to get away from the heat? We take so much for granted. If you focus on that, it will move you to gratitude. And when you move to gratitude, it moves you to contentment. Do you have food on the table for your meals? Jesus taught us to pray, give us, Lord, this daily bread. He didn't say give us all of it. He said what's necessary for today. Do you have that? Are you grateful for that? When you practice thankfulness and gratitude and look at what God has given you, it takes all, out all the distraction and it brings you to contentment. Well, let's look at one last verse because it's not just that. Because we've got to combat this lie that God's holding out to us. Let's look at James, James 1 again. James 1, 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not what? Do not be deceived. Satan, go away. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Who's the Father of lights? God. God the Father, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's unchanging. You can trust Him. You can take Him to the bank. His character is not changing. 18. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He brought us forth. 
by the word of truth. What is the word of truth? How did he bring us forth? The word of truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us? Who lived out all the commands perfectly and then died in our place? Jesus. Who's the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus. Jesus is the one when Satan himself came to attack him. In the temptations in Matthew 4, the third temptation, Satan himself took Jesus and put him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, Hey, Jesus, I'll give you it all. I'll give you the kingdoms and the nations and everything that's in them. All the things, all the possessions. And Jesus was obedient to the Father. He did not covet. He said, be gone, Satan. The Word of God says, worship the Lord God alone and serve Him alone. Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfilled the law that we could not fulfill. We covet all day long. But it's turning back to Jesus and the gospel and reflecting on the gospel that Jesus fulfilled what I couldn't and God has not held back from me. God has given you His most precious possession. His only Son, Jesus Christ. He's the solution to sin, to death, to God's wrath and our joylessness. God's not holding out on you. God has given you His best. He has given you Jesus. And when you reflect on that, when you dwell on that, it moves you to gratitude. It moves you to contentment. And it moves you to worship. Brothers and sisters, a urban hope, do not covet. Do not believe the lie of Satan that God is holding out on you. He hasn't. And he never will. He's given you what your heart most deeply desires. He's given you Jesus. And what our heart most deeply desires is intimacy with the Father. And Jesus has made a way for us to, to be reconciled. And to be intimate with the Father again, which was lost in the garden. Believe it. Take it to the bank. Be grateful. Be content. Worship this Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Urban Hope Podcast. For more information about Urban Hope Community Church, please visit our website, www.urbanhopecc.com.